A tower built on a hill can't be hidden. Let your light shine. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This cool leads us into our guest today, Eric Corm. Coach Corm is an Associate's Athletic Director at Williams & Mary, is the owner of BJJ Prep, and has his PhD in exercise science. I first heard of Coach Corm on a, the, the Just Fly Sports Performance Podcast, where he broke down his approach to training, and I was instantly bought into his method of reverse engineering a sport. And that's kind of what we covered today, reverse engineering your sport, how we can use data-driven results to fuel conversations and how we program for our athletes. And then we finished up with why it's so important for coaches to have a secondary source of income and how we can really elevate our status as a coach to being more of a leader. This was a shorter podcast because coach had to go, but it's very concise and there's a ton of information packed in this short little bit. So make sure you're there with a pencil and a notepad as as I was. I had to go back and take a bunch of notes on here and coach did a really nice job of being concise and really giving a lot of information. So I hope you guys get a lot out of this. Thank you guys for listening. I will coach. It's awesome to have you on this podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. You want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into the world of sports performance? Yeah. So I was a walk-on football player at Texas A&M way too long ago now, almost 20 years ago. It's, it's sad. And, uh, you know, as a walk-on, you're, you're trying to do everything you can to get on the field. And we had a physiology lab attached to our weight room. And I was actually a pre-med major. But I was really interested because like they were doing all these cool studies on the athletes and I just saw some really exciting stuff going on and started investigating like, yeah, there's really a science to training. And um, I got hooked, you know, because I was doing everything I could personally. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn how to apply science to human performance. And that's kind of what led me down this rabbit hole. And then after that kind of you went down the rabbit hole, what was the journey like a little bit of job chasing and getting to where you are now? Man. It's hard. No way to sugarcoat it. You know, I was, I did my graduate degree at Arkansas and uh, that's where I got into the world of pro track and field. One day, uh, Veronica Campbell Brown, her coach comes in and says, Eric, would you want to train her? Now Veronica had just been in the Olympics and then Tyson Gay comes in and I'm like, holy cow. Yes. That led to a long, long period of time of me actually doing physical preparation for her, uh, winning two gold medals in the Olympics. She's actually, she's won five gold medals, but two in the 200 meters. She's one of two women in the history of the sport to ever do that. And uh, I got to travel around the world. There was really a lot of highs doing that. But my first full-time job as a director of strength conditioning or head strength coach at Fort Valley State Division II school in Georgia, got hired in January. They never had a program, built a weight room, like literally like out of nothing. Like we had some bent bars, crappy platforms, incomplete dumbbells, and seven months into the job, it's May. So this is not even, no, it's five months into the job. Uh, they fired the head coach in May after an eight win season and they fired everybody. So, I mean, here's my first job. I'm in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. And I get a phone call cause it's, you know, May and we're all on break and they're like, Eric, you know, we've let everybody go this. I'm just going to give you a little side note. I get a call back and they're like, Hey, Eric, the players have come to us and asked that you stay. I'm like, wow. They said, would you stay? And I'm like, well, if you can give me like a one year guarantee contract that the new coach isn't going to fire me, then I'll stay. And they're like, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, well, then I'm gone. So, you know, they owed me for a couple months. I mean, it's, it's that my first job, I got fired, you know, so you learn really quickly, like it's going to happen. 
I went from there to University of the Pacific, to Mississippi State, to Florida State, to Kentucky, to you know the, the Houston Texans, got fired at the Texans, had a new general manager come in. So it's like, it's an up and down deal, man. There, there is no linear climb and it just takes a lot of perseverance. Yeah. And with that kind of the mindset that, that you have now, because you, you've been through those experiences, you've been through those low valleys, like what would you maybe not advice, but how did you process that yourself to get to the point to continue to push through? Cause after that first fire, like job you got fired at, you could have been like, well, this sucks. Like I can switch fields. Like I'm not doing this again. Like where did that kind of mindset come? Like, all right, I got fired. Now let's push forward. Let's do better. Let's keep growing. Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, it was my faith. So my faith is really important to me. I had to lean into that. And also my work habits, my parents instilled in me, like you have to work really, really hard for everything. And so, um, I just tried to go back to work to find something that I could do to differentiate myself. But I just had to have faith that, that I was where I was at for a reason. And that, uh, you know, these, you know, faith develops perseverance. And so like along the way that I would develop these character traits that were going to help me help somebody else one day. And so, um, man, it's still not easy. You know, it's never easy, but, um, that, that's what I leaned into was my faith and then just working hard and, and working smart. And you, you mentioned, uh, you, that perseverance allowed you to push forward to try and differentiate yourself. What was kind of like, how did you go about differentiating yourself? Cause I think in this field, like you, you see a lot of vanilla and you see a lot of the same, and it's very tough to get a job in this spot. Like what was kind of that process like for you? Like what made you different? Well, I'll say it's hard for anybody to get a job. Originally, I wanted to, I wanted to be the guy that could help somebody get faster. Okay. So when I was in Arkansas, I mean, some of the, there's luck. You got to be honest. There's some luck along the way that these athletes just dropped into my lap. And I went on this journey of learning how to make athletes faster. And so that's kind of where I was hanging my hat on. I could get people faster and uh, applying principles from track and field. You know, that's how I got in at Florida State. I didn't know Vic Floria. I didn't know Jimbo Fisher, but they were looking for a speed coach. And I interviewed with Coach Fisher and I just happened to say the right stuff that clicked with him. And that was my door in. And then when I was there, uh, I was like, man, we, we've got to, we've got to understand the game better to help us develop these athletes better. And that's when I went down the route of sports science, me and my friend, Joe Danos went to Australia in 2000 after the 2010 season, 2011, spring 2011. And uh, we were almost there for a month and we learned about Australian sports science, what high performance was. And then we brought back this thing called catapult. And I went to Coach Fisher and I just said, hey, listen, I think this is something that could really help us. He's like, what? You, you want to strap these what to the players and do what? I was like, listen, we don't really know what the game requires. Like we know the quarters and the time motion demands, but like what, how far are guys running? What I really want to do is help the coaches understand the, the consequence for practice. And so we tracked that season and that was a complete game changer. I mean, we... I believe we were the first ones in American football to do it because the NFL actually came to Florida state because they heard what we were doing and like, what are you guys doing? What is this tracking? What does this mean? I mean, I immediately saw where they were going. They wanted fan experience. Dollar signs were going off in their heads. And I'm like, this is more about player development, player safety. But you know, we were just duct taping catapult devices to people's pads. The U S rep at the time was an Australian that would go back and forth. He would sleep on my couch. I mean, it was just, it was nuts. And with this, with this data, because I think that that is one of the biggest things that I've known you for just through Instagram and just seeing all the, the data based and data, data driven performance, sports performance realm that you're into. How did you like, how do you differentiate between, all right, this is just more noise and this is just more stuff 
that we have to think about that isn't really helping us and the signal, like this is actually important stuff. And this is stuff that is going to help push our program forward. You know, what's funny is like, we really don't use a ton of data. <laughs> we try to anchor everything on what does the game require? You know, here at William Mary, we have a ton of sports. We don't have a ton of tracking. So we don't have any tracking on basketball. So the first thing I did was like, okay, I haven't, it's been a long time since I worked with basketball. So I want to determine what are the game demands? Um, we look at things from a uh, bioenergetic, biodynamic, biomotor standpoint. We reverse engineer performance, and then we develop all the constituent parts that lead to performance. Really, data, if you can get your hands on things that are objective in nature as, requires, as far as requirements of the game, that's really helpful. Uh, so load tracking, things like that. But man, so simple here. I mean, we're using Google Sheets. We're using RPE loads. I mean, it, we're really not using a ton of data. I've been in other places where I had more technology, but the sophistication at which we're operating isn't nearly as high. So that tells you something. Um, but yeah, early on, nobody knew what catapult was. And so I was getting calls all over the place. And then the whole thing with the Omega wave and all that kind of stuff, we do use that a little bit here, but number one thing is what is the game? How do we make sure we're preparing our athletes for the game? And the, and if I'm going to invest money in any technology, it's how are they adapting to stress? Uh, because that will determine your action in regards to the training structure. Mm -hmm. And how do you balance this with maybe uh, like almost communication with the athlete? Like, uh, like you have these either high volumes or low volumes, or this thing is telling you that this athlete's supposed to be recovered or isn't recovered, but then you're looking at the athlete and maybe it, it's saying something different. Maybe the athlete's saying something different. Maybe it's psychological in that athlete. How, how do you go about that working with the athlete and this data and kind of, it's almost a little bit of the art of coaching and combining all these things to oh. get the perfect program. It's definitely the art of coaching. Um, you know, that's a really great question. Um, first of all, the athletes have to see that what you're doing is actually improving them. So it starts with sound training. Okay. If you say that I'm going to make you faster and they adhere to your program and in generally they get faster then they have more buy-in. So you have to kind of earn the right to speak into their lives. And so if you have a really good training program that makes sense to the players where you're not just like, yes, you are training hard, but you're not just doing hard work. Does that make sense? Now there's a difference between working hard and actually creating a program that elicits a response. Because if it was all just about hard work, then we would go take a big sledgehammer and just go out and pound pavement all day. You know, that's hard. Or we would just go make people like run up a hill. Just that's it. We're just going to run up the hill because that's really, really hard. So that's the first thing is, is, is what you're prescribing actually eliciting a response. Once you kind of get past that first barrier, then all your monitoring systems, you can come to a guy and say, Hey, look, I'm starting to see a trend or a pattern here. Can you help me understand it? Like, is there something going on? You see what I'm saying? Then you have to bring them into the story. Uh, I call it co-opting them into this story. And when that happens, then there becomes a really cool symbiotic relationship. But something I've moved away from, I don't let everybody have all these sophisticating tools. So let's say I went to a, a school or an institution that had all the money in the world. I would make the athletes earn the right to be monitored and even earn the right to just give me their opinion. Because if you can't do the simple things well, when I can finally add a layer of sophistication, that's going to help you. Like it's, it's not going to, nothing's going to come out of it because they're not going to execute on it. And I've made that mistake. I got the scar tissue from that one. I try not to make things too complicated. You know, I really try to make it very simple for everybody. So we have something called a pod. A pod is our head coach, our athletic trainer, our athletics performance coach, our sports psychologist, she covers everybody and then all the assistant coaches, right? And then maybe um, uh, academics is added on it. So we all sit once a week, every sport and the pod meets and they talk about the athletes. We have a dashboard that everybody looks at with loads, 
with their wellness questionnaires. And then it just, it just fosters really, really good conversation. And then what's happening is, is you're getting all of this great information across all these different domains as to what is sucking out the life of the athlete. Is it an academic stress? Is it something in their personal life? Does that make sense? That's really the lifeblood of our whole program. No, I, I love that. That That's almost using it as, like you said, um, something just to drive that conversation and something to one one thing I like is, so we just got new laser timers at St. Thomas for our program. And one thing that the biggest seller was that is we can actually show them they're getting faster now. Now it's not just me. And that like at the end of before and after, it's not just me hitting that stopwatch a little bit quicker to show that I'm getting them faster. Like now you actually have laser timers. And that was one of the biggest things I could try to tell the guys is like, this is actually going to show the results. And like you mentioned with those meetings, like even with the sport coaches, like it allows you to create conversation with your sport coach. It's like, this is what this practice is doing. Like, this is what these liftings are doing. And now we can adjust and move forward, but it's not going to be black and white. Like we only follow the data. hundred mm, percent. And one thing you, you talked about creating these pods. You talked about creating these like meeting groups for this conversation. One thing I'm interested in is kind of your journey and through this path of your life, how have you adjusted your leadership roles? Because I know you're uh, the uh, associate athletic director. Yeah. Senior associate AD. Yeah. Uh... Yep. So you, that's like, now you have way, like you mentioned before we even started recording, like you have way more responsibilities than just like a, a strength coach now. So how have you kind of adjusted and changed your leadership styles throughout the year? Man, I've had to learn to listen a lot better. So intentional listening, um, listening to understand, um, trusting the people that are in, in leadership positions. And I trust a little bit too much to me. If I've hired you to be in a position, I'm going to trust in your expertise. So I'll just say one thing, like when I first got here, there was a little bit of a fear that, okay, Eric, even though I have PhD or whatever, you know, Eric's going to oversee sports medicine. Is he going to tell the trainers how to, I've never once gone in there and told an athletic trainer how to treat bleed. However, I've had like worked with them to develop very good open, open communication between strength conditioning, administration, et cetera, so that the athlete stays in the middle. And so as a leader, I have to know what I'm good at, try to stay in that zone as much as I can, understand what my, the people around me are really, really good at, and let them run with what I've hired them to do. And then uh, look for learning and teaching opportunities to help bring the younger folks along or the people that are new into the profession. Um, and then also me learning from the people that are above me, but, um, having to cast a clear vision, like as soon as I got there, I, I laid out the vision, the mission, the objectives the strategies and the tactics that we were going to use. Now, some of those tactics have changed, but the vision and the mission is not, not since the day we got here. It was clearly defined, clearly articulated. We've never wavered from that, which is we want to develop the most resilient and adaptable student athletes to consistently obtain their performance potential. And everything is, is revolves around that. We want to be the gold standard in high performance. <clears throat> and so everybody's been anchored on that day one. And then we have our high performance values that we can call each other out on. So for instance, one of them is being a team firster. So putting the team first, right? If somebody screws up in an area, instead of like attacking them, you can say, hey, you didn't, you didn't uphold this value. You talk to the value, not to the, and does that make sense? So these are just organizational things I've learned along the way that a lot of times we want to get to the tactics first instead of um, talking about what our vision, our mission, and our values are. And, uh, and if I go back and start over again here day one at William Mary, I would, do, I would try to do a better job of that. And it's almost like, and we talk about it all the time in the sports performance realm, but building the, the, the foundation of the human first, you know, like building that base block first. So the tactics and whatever you put on top, that, that triphasic training, those plyometrics, like whatever you put on top is yes. set on a strong foundation. No question. 
And the one thing like I, I have a question just for you is with your elevated leadership style, um, how do you balance like keeping the, the overall vision of this mission that you have in place and keeping skin in the game? So they talk a lot of times, like when you elevate as a leader, like you can't be in the day to day stuff as much without having the without losing your vision. Like, how do you how do you personally balance that? My skin in the game is um, that's really that's a really great point again. There are certain sports that I, I spend a tremendous amount of time with. You could imagine that's men's basketball, women's basketball, and football. Now, my expertise over the years is with football. And then I also do a lot of work with track and field because actually the sprints coach is Veronica's husband, Omar Brown. And so he and I, there's skin in the game there. I, I still help with that. But like, I, I don't have time, a whole lot of time to go train like strength conditioning with the athletes. But working with those coaches on developing practice structures and plans and actually having to be on the ground level with that stuff allows me to actually see the big picture better. So what are the hurdles that they're facing? What are the obstacles to success that that they're facing? You know, we have budgetary constraints here. So how are we going to think better than everybody else? And then getting on the ground level, like I love our football coach here, Michael London. He's a, he coached, was a head coach of Virginia. He's won a national championship at Richmond. And so like, he's already been extremely successful. And so we both come to the table and it's like, like we both had a pretty good success in our careers. And so we're not sitting there bickering over stuff. It's more like, how can we think and work together better? And so I get it on the ground level with him, you know, but then I only do that in a couple areas and then zoom back and we'll look at the big picture. So like right now I'm trying to think about the second order effects of when we come back and not just like injuries or, you know, with climatization and getting the athletes back, but what are the things that we're not looking at right now that could be unintended consequences of not seeing these athletes for a long time and then them coming back and all of a sudden starting to train again. And what's your, what's kind of the, the process of when you have this, like you mentioned, like seeing the things that other people aren't seeing, like how do you almost stay out of that group think to where you're a lot, like you're able to see those things. I read books. Okay or listen to podcasts with people that are way smarter than me. And I listen to how they are making decisions or thinking about things. And then I try to apply that to my situation, apply different mental models. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly, that's something that I try to do in my day-to-day life as well is try to, and we talk about a lot with the other guests and all the high level successful coaches. Like when I ask them like books and podcasts that they recommend, it's the same stuff of like stuff outside the field and stuff of people way smarter than you. So you can grab and then apply it to your, your field and your expertise. Yeah, no question. And in these meetings, uh, what's kind of your, cause you, you mentioned like you're working with high level other coaches. This is something that I see in a lot of, like when you have a successful program, you're trying to build a successful program, you're going to have bring in successful people, like successful coaches. And a lot of times you have that ego in there. Like this person's done this, this person's done that. Oh, yeah. you, what's kind of your process of right away, eliminating that ego and kind of putting that aside. So you're able to communicate. Man, it's hard. That's a really hard thing, especially if you know that somebody's making a mistake. I was oh, I was listening to a podcast with I think Howard Marks, and he said, "Never evaluate quality of a decision by the outcome of a decision." And so, when a coach says, "Well, this is uh, this is the best one," you know, people go, "Oh, well, when I was at so and so, or when I was at such and such place, and we won, this is what we did." That is the absolute worst way to look at a situation because you may have had just freak athletes. You may have had amazing budgets and all these other things. Maybe, you know, academics wasn't the highest priority at the certain institution you're at. So they had more resources, physical, psychological resources to give towards the sport. So just because you did what was on paper, that's not what led success. And so I try to help coaches 
get out of that. Let's on right here, right now, this situation with these athletes at this time and place, not what you did 15 years ago when you won, what it doesn't matter anymore. Now you can apply principles to a problem, but the script can't be the same. And so when I'm with the coach and they're brand new or I brand new, you know, I try to, it's, you got to check yourself, you know, and, and just listen and, and, you know, maybe just let them, maybe they've got to get burned. They, maybe they need to know that the fire's hot, you know, the stove is hot and then they'll come back around. But that is a really great question. That's hard to do, man. Uh, especially when everybody, you have a first time new staff and everybody's jockeying for position, you know, uh, it's a hard, that's dude, that's a, that's a exercise in self-discipline. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, very much the, the despite of, or because of kind of thought process. And that's something that I really try to challenge a lot of the sport coaches that I work with is like, is the reason that's working because of the drill or is it because we just out recruited that team, you know, and really trying to put those things. And maybe it is because of the drill, but knowing the answer to those things is huge for a lot of people. No question. And when you, when you're looking to bring in a like you, so you're talking about building this team and building this, this group, like what are you looking for in your hires? Like when, when you're looking to build a team, like what are you looking for to add to your team? Is, is it like specialties or is it personalities? Like how, how do you go about that process? Well, I will say this, the bigger the institution, the more money they have, the more selective you can be. The smaller institution, the less money you have, the less selective you can be. So I'm looking for great problem solvers. Uh, every time we post a job for anybody in the high performance unit, we ask people questions and they're like, do you have a bachelor's degree? Are you board certified athletic trainer? Are you a certified? Those are all like check, 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 check. And then we go to the questions and it like people reveal themselves like that. You know, how should a high perform? Like, what is your knowledge? Explain to me how a high performance unit should operate. What is the, what is the purpose of it? And it's like, people just, they, they, they don't even get it. And, you know, they'll talk about things that are totally like all they had to do was Google it. And they could have just ripped off definitions. You know, I'm looking for people, you know, we ask them how they interact with others. Like we're trying to filter out people that are just applying for a job versus actually putting thought into what we're asking them to look at. And then in the interview process, we challenge them, give them problems to solve uh, while they're there on the interview. We give them projects. We, you know, it's, we, we try to put them under stress. Because I don't want to learn how somebody operates, how they operate under stress when the stressful situation occurs. I want to know what it looks like and how they, how they communicate during that time. And can they actually access knowledge and information? And uh, you know what? Hiring, I recently was talking to a friend, hiring is something that not a lot of people do very well. And I'm trying to get better at it. And, and when after like the, the next little step, so you, you bring in somebody that you, you see has these traits, they're able to handle the stress, they're able to do these things. Mm -hmm. what's kind of your process of almost continued education with your staff or continued growth with your staff. So the person that you bring in day one is not the person that you have four or five years later. Yeah. I really lean on the, the, the directors of those units to be pushing their people, to be giving them projects, to be developing them. We have a great internship program here. I know in athletics performance and that like here brings in, you know, a couple interns every semester and man, do they ever go through a great curriculum, but then the whole staff is involved and I think it helps everybody grow. Um, on the athletic training side, there's, um, you know, we do staff meetings, we do staff education with everybody and then we're pushing them to go out and learn new things that are pertinent to their field. Learn how to communicate. I mean, I'll tell you, first time strength coach or athletic uh, trainer, the first thing they have to learn is how to communicate with a coach. 
And so uh, a lot of that, you know, you got to lean on the more senior people to help walk them through that. And kind of taking this a little bit of a different route. And this is something that we talked about. We kind of dug a little bit of a rabbit hole uh, before we even started the podcast, but you just started your uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, kind of sports performance page, correct? Yeah. Um, can you kind of talk about, because you, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, how you're using technology and how you're reverse engineering your sports and using actual like data to drive your training and usual using actual basically science to drive your training. Like, how are you doing that with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world? Yeah, that's really a great question. So I got into BJJ when I was in, in Texas, I was looking for a combat sport for my son to get involved in. And I was actually talking to one of our football players, Brian Cushing at the Texans. And I was like, Hey man, we should have a conversation. And I was like, you know, I'm looking to my son to get in something. He's like, dude, you should try BJJ. So I took my son. He really liked it. Um, my wife, who was an All-American softball player, she's a really good athlete. She was watching. I could just tell after like a month, she really wanted to get into it. So she got into it. I was having neck issues at the time. And I ended up getting all that fixed and learned some exercises that really saved me. Um, and so that I got into it. And it's kind of become a family deal. So uh, as I started getting into the sport, you have to, I just started looking through the lens I always do. Biodynamic, biomotor, bioenergetic demands. Did some research. Uh, bioenergy demands were easy to find. There's not a lot of stuff on biomotor, uh, biodynamic, but you can just look kinematics and kinetics. And so I just started observing, watching the sport and started creating my own plans for how I would train. And, um, so that was really kind of easy. Um, and you do it, you, once you've done it a number of times, you can, I've never had worked with lacrosse till I got here in like three months. We had, we could develop a really good plan. Right. And so, um, my wife and I are going to the gym and people are always asking us, you know, Eric, you know, my neck hurts or my shoulder hurts or my knee hurts or this hurts or how do I train in the gym? So you realize that there weren't very many resources. So we developed BJJ prep, which is, is uh, injury prevention and prehab resources and training performance resources for BJJ athletes. And um, it's been really fun, but it really wasn't hard. Like it's like once you're an engineer, like if you know how to, let's say you're a mechanic and you can work on a motorcycle. Okay, you understand the combustion engine. If you then wanted to work on your lawnmower, do you think there's principles that you could apply? Yeah. 100%. You go get the manual, you do a little research on YouTube and you go work on that. And then you can go work on the next motor or engine. You know what I'm saying? And so like sports, that's why like some of the greatest coaches ever weren't really great at the sport. You think Bill Belichick had a, nobody really knows his outstanding career as a football player. They know his outstanding career as a coach because he learned the game. And as I learned jujitsu better, I understand the techniques. Like I just put out a video the other day on special exercises to improve your guard, um, which is how you hold somebody in a position, wrapping your legs around them. And uh, it didn't take, you know, 20 years of rolling in BJJ to develop special exercises for that. And so use principles of dynamic correspondence. It's really not that complicated for somebody that is trained in it. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that was kind of my next, like a little bit of a question is how do you, how would you suggest somebody becomes that engineer of their sport? Would you say specialize in a sport and really like become the, the global engineer of that sport and really understand that sport and then try to apply it? Like how, what do you think the best way for somebody that's not a current engineer to get that degree? Well, I think uh, there's some, you need to have fundamental education. If you want to be a biologist, you got to learn biology, chemistry, biochem, organic, et cetera. So the first thing you need, to, you need to understand fundamental sciences, and then you can build upon that. I think James Smith's book is fantastic read. Everybody should read that. I think that's a great place to start. You know, there's some other good texts that people can refer to, but then like 
start understanding, like take a sport you don't really know about and say, I'm going to make this my project. So for instance, I started working with lacrosse two years ago. I was like, I was like, let's, let's watch some film. So we watched film and I'm like, all right, how do you win at lacrosse? And they're like, one of the things was, there's a saying in lacrosse, win the draw, rule the world. What does that mean? Like, so there's a draw where the sticks are together and the person that can get the ball rules the world. So then we're like, okay, how do we improve our ability to win the draw? Okay. So then you start developing things for that. And then you start going, there's these eight meter runs where they have a shot on the goal and whoever can accelerate. We looked at like one of the limiting factors or one of the KPIs for winning an eight meters, you got to be an unbelievable accelerator. So as soon as you can go, you're not taking a false step and you're moving right towards the target. And then there's skill parts about it. So then you start, you start dissecting the biodynamic parts and you start looking at the bioenergetic parts and then you look at the biomotor demands and you start creating a path. And I'd say it starts with fundamental knowledge and you build on top of that. You build on top of that. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, like I said, James Smith's book is a great place to start for somebody that wants to learn how to reverse engineer sport. Um, once you start, we have a, a volleyball coach here that read that book. And now he constructs all of his, every single period of practice has an emphasis on impacting the central nervous system, how it impacts the bioenergetic systems, what skills. I mean, it's, he had zero fundamental training and he did it in a year. And so that's, you know, I have, you know, I go back to look at Charlie Francis's stuff. I think there's some great things you can add on there. Some work from Val Nesedkin had a really big impact on my career. Victor Selinov, adaptation, all that kind of stuff. And you just start kind of piecing it together. The hard thing here in the United States is there's no formal curriculum for it. So you have to develop it on your own. Yeah. My, Michael Zweifel was on this podcast and he mentioned the same thing as like, whenever he has an athlete that doesn't like plays a new sport. So lacrosse was actually one of them. He's like, the first thing that I did was turn down a bunch of tape. And then I went and bought a lacrosse stick so I could like see and feel like what they're doing and playing and how this sport is actually going about rather than just writing down something on a sheet of paper with no knowledge of any of that. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to, it's going to take a while for you to become the te a technical tactical expert, but it doesn't mean that you can't watch the movements and quickly ascertain how you're going to develop the athletes for that sport. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and the, the more time you work at it, the better you're going to get. You're going to, I'm, I'm looking back at stuff I did a year ago. I'm like, man, I wish I didn't do it that way. But the fundamental pieces doesn't take that long. And how has, um, and this is something, because I think it's almost easier to look at a sport that you haven't played. And this may be just because you don't have those biases then. So how was doing that? You said it was easier, but was it easier doing it for, uh, jiu-jitsu programming for that and engineering that than it was for football where you had those little bit of biases with football actually being in football. Was it easier to, for oh. you to take an outside look at jiu-jitsu? I think so. I mean, when I first started as a strength coach, what did I do? I did what the person that trained me did copy. I, Cause I didn't know how to reverse engineer. Okay. Um, so yeah, like, but now my purview on football has changed so much because I'm looking at the global construct, you know, everybody's talking about how are we going to get these athletes back and ready to go? I'm like, we have the answers to the test. It's four quarters. You're going to do this many snaps in series that are this long with this much, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's pretty obvious. And then we just work back from that. Jiu-jitsu, you know, five to 10 minute rounds, but there are so many rabbit holes to go down. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I was like, once I got, like, there's fundamental things, gripping, guard, throws, but then you start, like, you can just, you know, start quickly ascertaining what you need to do. So I think I didn't answer your question very well, but 
my, the time it takes for me to break down a sport is much less than it, you know, it takes a lot less time now than it did 10 years ago. Yeah, for sure. The last thing I want to talk about before we get to our rapid fire round is kind of the, the I like mentioning this on this podcast, but kind of the business side of this uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu thing for you and talking about that secondary source of income for you. Like, what was your kind of thought process there? And how has that helped you in your job that you have now, like having that secondary source and having a little bit of foundation there? Well, I mean, I haven't really, I haven't been making a whole bunch of money on it yet, but, uh, you know, was it Nassim Taleb said the three biggest addictions in the world are sugar, crack, cocaine, and a monthly income. And, um, I started realizing, you know, I get all the way to the NFL and you get fired. Boom. It's gone. And you go from a certain paycheck to another paycheck and you're like, man, this is not robust. This is not the way, you know, I'm putting a lot on the line. And so I was actually part of something called the presidential leadership scholars, which you can look that up. But, uh, I was one of 60 scholars chosen by the Bush, uh, Bush 41, 43 LBJ and Clinton foundations. And I went through almost a nine month training program through them. Totally changed my life last year. And I realized that I'm much more than just a high performance director or whatever. And maybe this isn't what I do the rest of my life, but that I have to have other verticals because that's what smart business people do. And, um, it's made me look at problem solving a little bit differently and who my target audience is, what their pain points are, how do I reach them? Start thinking about it, that from an athletic standpoint and what are the pain points for our athletes? How are we going to communicate effectively with them? Using lean startup methodology to iterate quickly on a problem. That's how our pods operate. And so um, it's made me much more well-rounded and eventually uh, I want to, I have another startup I'm working on. That's a bit bigger. It's like we're working on, VC funding and stuff like that for it. But, um, eventually I don't want to have to be relying on a paycheck. And then if I don't want to do this full time, I can just walk away, but then it frees you up to when you go to work, you're not feeling like, Oh my gosh, you know, like if I, if I think this way or think that way, they're going to get rid of me. Okay. They get rid of me. You know, I'm not saying you're doing anything immoral or wrong, but you know, the only way innovation happens is by doing stuff differently. Yeah. And that, that, that's exactly the point that I mentioned to a lot of coaches that I talked to is a lot of coaches like they like, I want to say this, but if I say this, like, and they don't like it, then I'm gone. I was like, well, that, then you're, you're stuck. Like that, that's almost where you, you do eliminate yourself because you're never able to grow as a coach. You're never able to grow as thing because you're always stuck in that group think and you're not robust mm-hmm. as a coach because you don't have that, that almost not backup, but that, that foundation of a secondary source of income or a third source of income. So that I freaking love that point. And now now we can transition a little bit into the, the rapid fire rounds. We can get you off for your next call. But the, the first one that we got is what are some of your favorite books? You mentioned uh, governing dynamics of coaching, but what are your, some of favorite books for uh, coaches out there looking to better themselves in this field? Oh, you just said favorite books, just favorite books. Yeah. So this, most of the time they're not strength conditioning. Okay. So my favorite book, I would just, I just, I wrote down the Bible, um, the great mental models book by Shane Parrish. Uh, insanely simple is a great book. I recommend everybody read, um, lean startup methodology, lean startup by Eric Reese, um, zero to one by Peter Thiel. Those would be ones I would read. Those are really some favorites of mine recently. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I, that's, that's what we talk about every time on the podcast is usually like we talked about earlier, but usually they're books outside of the field that high level. And like you mentioned earlier, is like, you're, you're more than just like a strength coach. Like 
I, I view it as like, you, you want to be a leader and a leader needs to be able to grab from all aspects of life and apply it to what your expertise is at this moment. But globally, like you, your job title is a leader. No question. Next question. Who is a guest that you think we should have on? So this is kind of how you got thrown into the fire on this podcast and how a lot of our guests have got on, but who is somebody that you think the listeners can get a lot out of? Who recommended me again? Um, I think it was Andy Ryland. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I said Kier. You should have Kier on for sure. Okay. Next uh, one. Or, or Eric or Chris Morris. Chris Morris. Yeah. Next one. What's kind of next for you? You, you mentioned that you just started a BJ, uh, Jay, uh, startup. Like what's kind of your next goal? Maybe it's a five-year goal. Maybe it's a one-year goal. Uh, well, we have BJJ prep and then I'm working on something right now to totally disrupt the health and wellness industry. And I'm okay. with that. Okay. That's pretty sweet. That, that's probably one of our most uh, cliffhanging answers. That's a good one. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be when you, when you, when you're done with this, when you're on your deathbed, when all this coaching is over, when all these startups are over, like, what do you want people to say about you? You know, I made an impact on their lives. that was far more, it was far more than just beyond the, the field or the court or whatever, but I truly helped make them a better person or help them develop into somebody that they want to be, you know? And, um, when you get phone calls like five or 10 years down the line from an athlete, it's like, Hey coach, you know, I remember you said that. I mean, that's like the biggest reward. That's freaking awesome. The very last question of the podcast. Um, this is somebody that, that they, they see you at the top of the mountain right now. And I know you mentioned in your email that you don't think you're at the top of the mountain, but they see you where you're at right now. You're at, you're at this high spot. They want to get there and they're kind of stuck in the value Valley. They're stuck in this like tough spot in their life. Like, What's kind of your billboard message for them to keep rolling? Yeah. I mean, I would say this is for everybody in the world right now uh, with the coronavirus. I'm going to quote one of my favorite Bible verses says, um, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not liking anything. And so the only, we know this from training. The only way to get stronger, faster, and more powerful is to train and to adapt or whenever you're facing trials or things that are very difficult, find joy in it. Um, and if you can do that, then, then, um, that's, that's probably half the battle. Boom. That's awesome. Coach, I know you have another call to get to, but this was awesome. Thank you for being on. Thank you. I'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.